With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to the great show. This is John Allen. Jeremy Young is off this week. Well, he's, he's off every week, some people might say, but he's not with us this week. And sorry for that. We... Enjoy Jeremy. Jeremy's listening to this, I'm sure. Jeremy, we love you. We look forward to having you back. We'll say more about that in just a moment. But today's great show is brought to you by the history-making events. Yes, we're going to be talking today about the Cubs winning the World Series. Now look, it could be 108 years before we're able to do this again. And so we would be a little crazy not to spend time and talk about the Cubs World Series victory now. I suppose there are some people that could be disappointed and think, well, if we're going to set the record, now we have to wait 109 years uh, to make a new World Series record drought. But I think Cubs fans need to be really happy about this. Let's get into that in just a few moments more. But usually we start the show with things a little shorter and, and fun to think about. And so before we circle back and talk about the Cubs, let's talk about this video I watched this morning. I don't usually consider myself to be much of a video person. I've heard people talk about YouTube and these other things and you know about viral videos and all that, and I was never really big into that. I've watched some things here and there. And it's interesting, though, that lately I've found myself watching a lot more videos, uh, usually for entertainment, sometimes for education. But I saw a video this morning about a, a way to tie your shoe really fast. And it was a little bit of a, a a little bit of a deception because this guy says you can tie your shoe in about a second, but what you have to do before that is you have to go and totally change how you relace your shoes. And that's interesting. And I, I didn't pick it up well enough to relate all that to you right now. But it reminded me of a TED talk that I watched several months ago. Actually, this has probably been a few years ago now. But if you're not familiar with the TED Talks, TED is uh, the name behind, and they do these conferences, and some of these events are independently organized now, and they've become a big deal. And they have a website and a channel on Roku and that kind of thing. And they are interesting. You have to be careful. There are a lot of things on it I've seen that I'm just really not interested in and things that I'm not I don't really think they're any good, but they do have some things on there that are very good and very interesting. And I was watching once, and this fella came out, and he said, you've been tying your shoes wrong. And, of course, that's pretty striking because if you're tying your shoes and they're staying tied, then you're successful, right? You're doing what you need to do. And he said, no, you've been doing it wrong. He said he had been doing it wrong, and he was surprised to learn that he was tying his shoes wrong. He said, of all the life skills that I know I haven't mastered. I, I kind of thought that tying my shoes was one that I that I had. And so I watched this, and he, he demonstrated this new way to tie shoes. Now, the video is really amusing. If I'm remembering it right, he tied shoes the 
if you will, old-fashioned way, uh, the regular way that we learned to tie them, and of course the crowd being very polite, they applauded for him uh, when he had <laughs> when he had done that simple task. But I want to tell you about his method, and not the method that I saw on a YouTube video or whatever it was this morning, uh, because his method does not require you totally relacing your shoes, and then after doing all that hard work, you've got a a quick hack. This one is surprisingly simple. It's not going to require a big adjustment in how you do things, but I have used this since watching that TED Talk, and it really does help. Uh, he mentioned that it seems to keep your shoe tied better and that it seems to look a little nicer and, and how it lays on your shoe as opposed to the way that you were probably taught. You know, the over, under, around the tree, that sort of uh, method of tying your shoes. And so let me lay this out for you as best I can. And I know we don't have visual aids here. That's kind of amusing. This is probably something that's better to see than to just hear it described. And I'm reminded of several years ago when there was a, a debate. These guys might have been running for president. It, it's been a while. I was in college at the time. And there was a Democratic candidate. Jeremy could probably remember this. And so again, I'm sad that Jeremy's not with us today, but there was a Democratic candidate who brought a pie chart to his debate, which would be fine, except the debate was on the radio. It was a radio debate, and he had brought in a chart to try to make his point. And the moderator said something to the effect of, well, Mr. Whoever is, is referring to a, a chart which is not fully effective on radio. Of course it's not. So I realized this is not going to be fully effective as you're listening to this with no visual demonstration. And maybe I can find that TED Talk and, and give the link somewhere, maybe in the Great Show Facebook group. But Think of how you would normally tie your shoe. You've got the, you know, you make the little the loop, you go around it, you pull through and all that. Okay. When you come to the point that you've gone around the loop and you're wanting to pull back through so that you go from having the one, uh, eyelet isn't the right word, but that's what I'm going to use, the one to having the two. Okay, normally, for me anyway, when you go over that first, you go from the top over and then pull it back up through. And the difference here, and it really does make a difference, is that instead of going over that, when you go around, you go under. So think about that. The next time that you're going, right now you, and I'm trying to walk through this mentally with you, paint a mental picture. You've you've got both of your laces. You do the X, right? You take one and go underneath, right? and then you pull the laces tight. Now we're talking about where you make that first, whatever you want to call it, rabbit ear, uh, loophole, whatever. Uh, you make that. Now, instead of going over the top of it to where that other string is closer to you, go beneath it instead and come back through toward you. So instead of over and away from you, go under and toward you, and then you do the rest as as you would. You come around and you pull through, you've got your two loops. There you go. I know that's hard to understand. <laughs> I started to kind of regret that I even brought it up and trying to explain it. 
but once you start in, you got to finish. You've got to follow through with it and finish it out. And I hope that was clear enough. So basically, you're just looping it in the opposite way. Now, you might be laughing, might be saying, "Whatever, okay, fine." But I'm telling you, I like it. I've been tying my shoes that way ever since, uh, with rare exception, and they really do seem to lay better on the shoe. It seems to be a better tie. And then, of course, there's also the other factor that I double tie my shoes, and that's another way to keep your shoelaces from coming untied. And you can loop in whatever any way you like if you do that. So there is your unasked for, unnecessary, and probably probably unhelpful tutorial on how to tie your shoelaces. So going to talk about the Cubs here in a minute. want to explain a little bit more about Jeremy, though, because I promised him that I would. Jeremy has been placed on our mentally unable to perform list. Now, you've heard about physically unable to perform lists for sports, right? You'll have an injured player, and they're placed on the pup list, the physically unable to perform. And we've put Jeremy on the mentally unable to perform list. Now, Jeremy's not having mental issues. Again, some might want to argue that. If you'd like to argue that, you can send it to Jeremy, care of I really do not care what you think at gmail.com. Again, I really do not care what you think at gmail.com. It is a real email address. I'm still not sure the last time Jeremy checked it, but it is there. And you're welcome to send any of your thoughts, comments, insults, compliments, that sort of thing to Jeremy. And I really do not care what you think at gmail.com. So back to our point, though. Jeremy's has been going through a series of issues, uh, having a hard time, and so he is, we're saying, mentally unable to perform. When you combine not feeling well with having trouble sleeping, uh, you get that nice one-two punch, and and it, it, it makes it tough. And so uh, knowing that Jeremy was going through that, I basically forbid him from even trying to come on and do the show this week. And so we're going to try to do it alone. If nothing else, it's going to make you appreciate Jeremy more when he comes back. But that's Jeremy. Be thinking about Jeremy. If you're if you're a Christian, pray for Jeremy. And we look forward to having him back on the show very soon. In the meantime, today is a really interesting time. This is the last episode of the Great Show podcast before the 2016 presidential election. And Jeremy and I have talked on this before. I'm not going to get into vote, don't vote third party, second party, and we're not going to get into all that today. I really don't want to bog the show down with it. I think that between Jeremy and me, we've said what we feel like we need to say. John Mayer would be proud. We, we've said what we need to say. And so at this point, it's a matter of we'll see what happens Tuesday. We will see who has won. We'll be able to have a better idea of what it's going to look like for the country in the time ahead. And we'll just go from there. But also understand, as we're on this side of the election, next week at this time, it could be a really fascinating. We don't know what's going to happen. This could be end up being a contested election, right? It could. You remember Bush and Gore back in 2000 and how long it took to really get that settled? And as tight as this race is looking, we could have another 
situation like that. And let's be honest, we could. We could have another contested election where we don't honestly know the results. Some people have been so tired of of this campaign. And they're they're tired of this race that's been going on since what, twenty fourteen? I mean it's been going on a while. And there are people that are just so tired of it and they're ready for it to be over and they're looking at Tuesday and thinking, finally and then there's that reality of, you know, Tuesday might not really <laughs> Tuesday might not really be the end of it. This could be the the race that never ends or that never seems to end. Just think we could be back in a week's time and still not know who the next president is going to be. We'll leave it at that. I'm just I'm I'm saying that to say we're in such an interesting point in history because we're Still a few days on this side of a presidential election that uh, could have humongous impact on what the country looks like for the future. And we're at a time where there's still freshness from the amazing thing that happened Wednesday night. And I'm talking, of course, about the one thing everybody's wanting to talk about, Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, whatever – one issue that seems to have brought a lot of the country together in a time when we can use that sort of thing is the World Series. The Chicago Cubs have won the World Series for the first time in the lifetime of most people living on this earth. There are, my understanding, still a few people that were alive the last time that the Cubs won the World Series. But let's be honest, for most of us, we had never seen them. I had never seen it, obviously. Far too young for that. And so Wednesday night, the Cubs won the World Series. It was agonizing for the Indians, and I do have friends that are Indians fans, and I I tell you, I I really do feel for them. I know the agony of being a fan of a team and, and really pouring your heart into supporting a team and watching them go a long way and then to have disappointment. And the Indians have been to the World Series a few times in my lifetime, and they've uh, they've lost each time. They lost to the Braves, which I was happy for that one. I was a Braves fan, as I'll explain in a moment. It happened to – they lost to the Marlins, and now they've lost to the Cubs. And they have a long drought as well. Uh, I guess they have the longest World Series drought now that the Cubs have ended theirs. So – let me take a few moments here and walk you through my my history as a baseball fan. And some people might be falling asleep already. I don't have any sentimental, nostalgic music to play behind this story. But let me just set some context here so you can understand how I felt watching the Cubs win the World Series Wednesday night. My first memory of watching professional baseball. I was watching a game on the network TBS, and it was the Atlanta Braves and the Houston Astros. And I came into that game with the determination that I hated the Braves. I I don't remember why. I just remember distinctly having in mind that I just did not like the Braves. just hated them. And in this game, and this is the first major league game I ever remember watching, the Braves scored something like four runs in an inning. I mean, it was just one after another after another. 
and it was the most impressive thing I had ever seen, and I decided on the spot that I was going to be an Atlanta Braves fan. They converted me that quickly. So <laughs> I know that may be a weird story, and I don't know why that moment stands out in my mind. I don't remember anything else about that game. I barely remember that it was the Braves and the Astros, and maybe it wasn't the Astros. I think it was. But the point is, I went from hating that team to loving that team in about five minutes. And that stayed on. The Braves were my team. And I rooted for the Braves, loved the Braves. And it didn't hurt anything. That was right in the stretch when the Braves got really good. And so I remember those seasons where the Braves were going to the World Series. I remember the disappointment of the Braves making the World Series again and again and losing. Although they did beat the Indians and get one win out of, what, four trips to the World Series? Uh, several trips and only the one title to show for it. But I got to enjoy those teams with John Smoltz and Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox. And, you know, I remember Sid Bream and that big run he made against, I guess it was the Pirates, to get into the World Series. I remember that Braves Pirates rivalry as the Pirates still had Barry Bonds and Bobby Bonilla before uh, that broke up. I remember I remember Mark Lemke, Jeff Blauser, Terry Pendleton, Otis Nixon, you know, those guys. Uh, that was kind of the golden age of baseball for me. And then somewhere along the line, I got into watching the Cubs games, probably because just like we had TBS and that meant I could watch Braves games, we got WGN at some point, and I was able to start watching Cubs games. And I enjoyed Harry Carey and, and his antics. And so I still like the Braves, but I also really like the Cubs. And at some point, I don't remember exactly when, but at some point my highest allegiance went over to the Cubs. And, again, I don't remember exactly when this happened, but I remember thinking, well, I like the Braves. They've been my team. I like the Braves and the Cubs. But, you know, when it gets down to it, the Braves seem to be doing fine without me, and, and maybe the Cubs could be benefited uh, from my support. And so from that thinking of it, the Braves are fine, but the Cubs could use some help, I I did a, a I don't want to say flip-flop, but it went from being Braves-Cubs in my book to being Cubs-Braves. So the Cubs were my favorite team. And I rooted for the Cubs through, I remember going through, High school was a Cubs fan. I remember Harry Carey dying and being sad about that. I remember very distinctly when the Cubs got close to the World Series. They had that 3-1 lead over the Marlins, and they blew it. I remember Steve Bartman. I remember all of that. I remember the agony of that year and getting so close but not making it. So I have familiarity with heartbreak through the Braves in the World Series and through the Cubs getting close, but not quite. But something else has happened, too, and this has been in the last decade, and that is somewhere along the line, and it was right around the time that the Tampa Bay Rays did their rebranding. But along the line, I I had some connections in Tampa Bay, and I decided that I wanted to get behind that team a younger team, I thought, I want, to, I want to get behind them and be a Rays fan. And so, uh, over time, 
and again, part of it was, well, they need help. These other teams don't need the help so much. You know, I, I, I did another swap of sorts, and so the Rays have become my team. So I've never let go of those teams that I liked. It's just that the priority has shifted some. So it used to be Braves all the way. Then it was Braves and Cubs, and then it was Cubs and Braves, and now it's Rays, Cubs, Braves. And that's the order I think I'd put it in. And I'm a Rays fan first, a Cubs fan second, and a Braves fan third. So if there had been a World Series of the Rays and the Cubs, that would have been a stressful one for me because it would have been really tough to pick. Uh, wanting the Rays, but, but then again, the Cubs having been so long, I might have actually rooted for the Cubs in that one. And so this year we had the Cubs and the Indians, and nothing against the Indians. I've got – can I stutter a little more? I have friends who are Indians fans, and I feel for them in, in the loss. So I had nothing against the Indians. It's just they weren't the Cubs. And so definitely wanted the Cubs to win. When they fell behind 3-1, to one, it was not looking very good. But then they got a win to make it 3-2. to two. They got that win in game six to make it 3-3. Three to three. And because I remember the Cubs blowing a 3-1 lead to the Marlins in the NLCS years ago, I realized, yes, it is possible to come back, but it's going to be tough. But they did. And then we have game seven. So game seven, if you watched it, you know, the Cubs blew the game open. They had the lead. It was 6-2 to two at one point, and then 6-3. to three. And then out comes Aroldis Chapman, who, remember, the Cubs got this guy specifically to be able to come in and shut down the end of games. Basically, they got him for this purpose. But now the trouble is they had used Chapman a lot. And in game six, I would have liked to talk to Jeremy about this if he were here today. In game six, Joe Madden brought in Chapman with a big lead and wanting to make sure because the Cubs had to win game six to get to game seven. They brought him in with a big lead. He threw a lot of pitches, worked a lot for a game that was that was decidedly in the Cubs' favor. And this made you wonder, well, okay, but what about game seven? What if you really need him in game seven? Do we really need to pitch him tonight? So game seven comes, they bring him in, and the guy has been worked hard in the series. And so in the eighth inning, it's six to three, but wait, now it's six to four. And then Chapman serves up a home run, and it's six to six. It's a tie game. And you can just kind of imagine the what are the different figures we could use? The wind going out of their sails, the uh, the balloon popping, just all the energy, all of the momentum that the Cubs had, and gone. Excuse me a moment. Who's his niece? <coughs> I don't think that has ever happened on the Great Show podcast before, but I was overwhelmed with the need to sneeze, and <laughs> I had to do it. I tried to get away from my microphone. I hope you didn't hear that, but I apologize for the delay. Uh, this is a good argument for us to go back, and instead of recording these things live, which we enjoy, uh, maybe we need to go back and edit so we don't have five seconds of dead air. Okay, talking about uh, the Cubs, talking about Chapman and, and pitching, right? So he had served up this home run. You've got a tie game. 
And you can just imagine what Cubs fans are thinking. We had it. It was there. And now this. And how are we going to recover? So it's 6-6 six to six and made for a dramatic ninth inning. Cubs got nothing. The Indians come up. And uh, we work on through. Uh, we, we work on through into the ninth drama, all that. They get through it. It's tied now. So we've got game seven, Cubs fans waiting all this time, and now we've got not only nine innings complete and a tie and so extra agonizing inning, but there's a storm. Yes, rain. A rain delay. (laughs) So for all the work, all the waiting, all the effort, everything that's been going on, and now there's a rain delay. I'll accelerate the story a little bit. You know by now that the Cubs did win. They scored two runs in the top of the 10th. The Indians were able to get one. The Cubs held on. They won. And 108 years of long-suffering, the Cubs have done it. Now, a couple things there. One, and I I made a point of this Thursday to some of my readers that, uh, that get some of the emails that I send. Anytime that you're doing something highly valuable, you can expect to have adversity. And the Cubs are trying to end that drought. Think of all the adversity they had. You get into game seven, you think you've got it, and then boom, tie game. And then you survive the ninth, but hey, look, now there's a rain delay. And so the reminder is, any, anything you do that is worth doing, you can expect to have adversity. And they absolutely did. So take that off of something so trivial as baseball and, and put it into life. If you were doing something worthwhile, you can expect to have adversity. And the same could have been said for the Indians. If the Indians had won, you can make that same point. Because they've been uh, since 1948, you say the same thing. Think of the adversity that they had to go through. But I want to talk about that sensation of actually getting to see the victory. Again, I am a Cubs fan. No, they're not my technical number one favorite. I told you I like the Rays, but I, I had a lot of years with the Cubs as the undisputed number one uh, team in my heart. And so there was that great satisfaction of seeing what we had been waiting for for years and years, for a lifetime. There was tremendous satisfaction in seeing that happen. And I can empathize with Cubs fans who have kept the Cubs number one and have had all that uh, waiting and anxiety and, and patience over the years. But I'll admit, for me, because I had uh, moved on in allegiance to the race first, I'm I'm sure the sensation was not as thrilling as if I had hung in there. Uh, So it was great to see. I loved seeing it. I I enjoyed it tremendously. And at the same time, I'm sure that because I had, in a sense, moved on, uh, that as exciting and thrilling as it was, it, it would have been greater. And so there's a lesson for me there as well. You know, I, in a sense, gave up and moved on and went on to other things. And so you miss 
the full joy of that. So I am happy for my friends that are Cubs devotees. I will say in my defense that last year, I believe it was last year, I approached a legitimate Cubs fan and explained my situation of of how I had been a Cubs fan for many, many years and moved on to being a Rays fan first and a Cubs fan uh, 1B or second and and asked if it would be okay if I <laughs> rooted for the Cubs and I got his permission. So I feel like I'm okay there. Uh, I, I went about it in the proper channels. So but that that elation, that joy is good. It's interesting to me some things about an event like that 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 I noticed this time that I probably wouldn't have noticed 10 years ago when I was a, a full-blown Cubs fan 10 or 15 years ago when they were, you know, 10 years ago when they were making that run for the World Series and the Marlins tripped them up. One is as I was watching that game, I watched the Cubs win. I was thinking about in the 10th inning when the Cubs were ahead by two and you've got, they brought in a guy named Carl Edwards Jr. And your first thought is, well, what is a NASCAR driver doing as a, as a pitcher? But of course it's a very different, (laughs) that Carl Edwards and this Carl Edwards are very different. This is a younger, uh, a younger man. I hadn't really seen him pitch before and in he comes and he's in this tight spot. Chapman, with the troubles that he had, he he still made it through and did all right. But by the uh, by the time we got into the tenth inning, you know he was he was done. Uh, and so in comes how do, in comes Carl Edwards Jr. to pitch, and he gets the first two outs. But then he gave up a hit. And he ends up getting pulled, and I, I just remember, I just remember thinking and, and and watching this. You know, this guy, who a lot of people are seeing pitch for the first time, maybe many have never heard of him, and here he is on the threshold of going into Cubs, for lack of a better word, immortality. Right? He would be a Cubs legend for life if he could get through that one inning. Lock down the save and be the guy that gets the win. From from unknown to legendary hero, period. And so when he got pulled with two outs, I, I felt for him. And I'm going to be keeping an eye on him next season, or trying to keep an eye on him next season and, and see how he develops and how he progresses. Uh, it, to me, it'd be a shame to have a guy that comes in and makes that big contribution, but then because he doesn't get the last out, It'd be a shame to me if he goes through the rest of his career and is pretty well forgotten uh, for what he did in the series. I have, I feel like I've rambled. It's been focused. It's been a focused ramble. I just mean ramble in the sense that we've talked about a lot of stuff, and and I'm not sure I brought you a whole lot of value here. But we did cover a few things. One is to remember that any time you're going after something great, there's going to be adversity. Uh, two is we talked about. Carl Edwards Jr., we talked about this idea of you know, sometimes people can be remembered or forgotten in a very short span just based on what happens. You know, Carl Edwards Jr. was one out away 
from Cubs fans never forgetting his name. And now we'll see. He may have a very bright future ahead of him, and he may be remembered by Cubs fans uh, from now on through uh, for what he does later in his career. But for now, it will take a little bit more. Now, another thing, a nice lesson for us in context, think about that baseball from the last out. This is another thing I thought about that I'm not sure I would have noticed 10 years ago. I price this. You can go to a sporting goods store and buy an official Major League Baseball. That is, it's the, it's the size and weight. It's got the MLB stamp on it. It's got the commissioner's name and and signature likeness on it. You know, the real deal. And you can buy one of those in a little display case for thirty bucks. Which that's a lot for a baseball, but thirty dollars. Now. In the World Series, presumably, they've got essentially the same baseball, right? But do you suppose that that ball from the last out, that you could just go and buy it for $30? You know the answer to that. Of course not. For a number of reasons. One, because whether the player still has it or the Cubs organization has it or Major League Baseball has it, one, they're not looking to sell it today, right? That's not going to happen. But even if it could be purchased, even if there were a dollar amount on it, that ball would sell for a lot more than 30 bucks. I don't know for sure, but there may very well be somebody that would be willing to pay a million dollars for that ball. How come? Well, it's ultimately because of context, right? I mean, it's a standard Major League Baseball, just like they have hundreds, thousands of standard Major League Baseballs. What makes that ball different is where it was, the context of when it was used, what happened with it. And you think about this as well. There were, what, 30 outs in that game the Cubs had to record? Because the game went 10 innings. They had to record 30 outs, and a baseball doesn't last very long in a Major League Baseball game. I think I read one, so they last about five or six pitches. You've got 30 outs that were recorded in that game. And so let's even be conservative. What I mean is the Cubs had to get the Indians out 30 times. The Indians had to get the Cubs out 30 times also. But we're thinking of the Cubs getting the win, and so it's the 30 outs they got against the Indians that add up to their Game 7 victory. So even if it wasn't literally a different ball for every out, you're probably still dealing with at least a dozen baseballs used in that game that were used for outs that were recorded. And I think that's a very conservative estimate. It probably was closer to 30. So point being, even with those balls, any of those balls that were used in the World Series, whether they recorded it out or not, any of them that were used in Game 7 have a higher value today than $30. And that's because of, again, the context. But even those balls would pale in comparison in value to that one ball that was used to record the final out. Again, that's because of context. 
this may just sound like more rambling from me to you, but I think this is a great practical illustration of how context works. Sometimes you have something that in one context wouldn't really mean much anything or wouldn't be anything special. You put it in a different context, and now all of a sudden it's very valuable. In one context, it wouldn't be useful at all to you, and in another context, it's very valuable. Think about it this way. You don't really have a need for a heavy winter jacket if you are living on the equator, right? In that context, a winter coat doesn't do you any good. It's There's no value. But take that winter coat and go north quite a ways. Let's get up into New England or into Canada or Alaska or the Pacific Northwest and now that same winter coat, that same jacket, is very valuable. The same jacket, what made it significant in one case, but not significant in the other? It's context. Just something to think about. There are ways you can apply that into your life, I'm, I'm sure. But understanding the value of context. And if for no other reason than this, you can think about what contexts in your life are there where you are the most valuable. What are the areas of life where you can provide high value? And then can you get yourself into that context and use that to your advantage? How about that? There's a pro tip for you. We find the context or the contexts in your life where you are able to deliver high value and find ways to put yourself into that context. Okay, I think I've talked enough, haven't I? Everybody ready for me to be finished here? Jeremy hopefully will be back with us next week, but even though he couldn't be with us here today, he did have a band phrase of the week, and he was nice enough to send that to me, and I have it for you. The band phrase of the week for this week is journalistic integrity. Journalistic integrity. And to say it simply, the reason Jeremy is banning the phrase journalistic integrity is because it no longer exists. It is an oxymoron, right? Or at least as we have learned in so many cases, the idea of journalistic integrity is an oxymoron. I could talk more about that on another day. I was trained as a journalist. I There are people that are trying to do it right. But at the same time, a lot of what we are seeing that's being marketed as journalism, it's just not what it should be. It's just not. But we want to leave this on an upbeat, happy note today. Cubs win, right? Where's Harry Carey? We need to boot up the uh, the sound effects of Harry Carey screaming, Cubs win! Cubs win! Or at least we could get Will Farrell to come in and impersonate him a little bit. Uh, what a fun week uh, to see the Cubs able to get that victory. Let me, let me say this really quickly before we go. I meant to bring this out and failed to. When the Red Sox broke their long, long World Series drought, there were some Red Sox fans who not too long after that were then lamenting and complaining and fussing about the fact that their children 
would never have the experience of the longing and the waiting and the agony and the disappointment of having to wait year after year after year because here they'd waited all their lives to see the Red Sox win and their children wouldn't have to. And so basically they're complaining that their kids got nice things. So Cubs fans, do not do that. I don't want to hear you in a year or two fussing about, well, you know, my kid will just never know. will never have that, that experience of going through the hardship, the agony of year after year after year uh, waiting for that. No, be happy. You waited your whole life. You wanted to see it sooner. You got it. Be happy. And be happy that your kids got to see it. And that your kids didn't have to wait their whole lifetime to see it. It's a wonderful thing. A, a, a wonderful story. I know there are people out there that aren't Cubs fans uh, that say, please talk about somebody else. But this is such a good story. It's been such a long time. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Have a good weekend. Do your final homework as you think about Election Day Tuesday if you're going to vote. But for now, uh, this is John Allen. Thank you for listening to the great show. Jeremy will be with us again soon. We look forward to that, hope for that. Uh, So in the meantime, have a great weekend. Uh, Enjoy these next few days. Brace yourself for the election and always live greatly. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.